Hello, everybody. Welcome again. Uh, as promised, here's another episode of our lead into the Bellarmine Forum podcast relaunch. Uh, you heard last time John D. Jack and I talking, and it was a little bit of a fireside chat. Today, if you want to know more about Franciscans today, how the, the modern world has changed things, and the history of St. Maximilian Colby and what he would maybe think about us in the media for today, then we have the perfect guest with Friar Anthony Mary. Uh, and with that, let's get started. Let's start with a prayer. Father, do you mind? Sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We fly to thy patronage, O Holy Mother of God. Despise not our petitions in our necessities, but deliver us always from all dangers, O glorious and blessed Virgin Mary. Amen. Amen. Our Lady, uh, the Immaculate Conception, pray for us. Pray for us. Awesome. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, Father, you want to take a moment in... Uh, I was laughing. I don't know that anybody would know this. You and I have been friends for a while online, but we've never really spoken in person. So <laughs> here we are just minutes after talking, and we're we're going to be on this uh, recorded interview. Sure. But you're in Chicago. You're a Franciscan. And let's talk a little bit about you, why you became a priest, and, and just what it's like up there. Okay, sure. Well, good to be with you, uh, John. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm talking to you here from the... Uh, Windy City of Chicago, and uh, I belong to the branch of the Franciscans, the three main branches being the Capuchins, the uh, the Friars Minor, um, typically known as the, the Brown Franciscans, and then also the Conventual Franciscans. Um, so I belong to the, uh, the Friars Minor Conventual, not conventional, a lot of people <laughs> make that mistake, um, so we do better with convection heat, but no. <laughs> It's uh, not conventional, but conventual, um, meaning that uh, we, we came from the larger urban uh, friaries, uh, especially in Europe and Italy. Now, in um, England, they call them the Grey Friars? Exactly, Is that the same yes. thing? Okay. Yes, the Grey Friars uh, in England. And we, we do have a, a house, kind of reestablished our presence there in England after so many years, uh, there at Oxford. So... Um, you know, the friars who would, would typically be around the major universities in Paris or in Oxford or in, um, um, in Cologne, in Germany, uh, the friars who would be at the city center engaged in um, um, more public ministry, uh, in academia, in preaching, uh -huh. uh, would, would come from the branch of the order known as the conventual Franciscans. Now, the, other, the others would, would focus more perhaps on um, austerity of life or on uh, itinerant preaching or maybe um, contem uh, contemplative prayer. So, uh, for instance, Padre Pio, good Capuchin, uh, you know, what did he say? I, I just want to be a, a poor friar that prays. Well, that's, that's perfectly uh, summing up the Capuchin uh, kind of dimension or, or charism there. I see. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I joined the Friars uh, after college, uh, graduating from college, and uh, drawn to this particular province, uh, the province of St. Bonaventure, which is roughly the Midwest, uh, because of, uh, well, I, I think they just struck me more as uh, ecclesial in their um, ethos or uh, 
you know, so they're more churchy, I suppose. <laughs> no, when you mean uh, churchy, are you talking like liturgy, prayer, or? Yeah, all of that, all of that. So these things weren't, uh, you know, major issues for them, meaning um, to, to pray as the church, as the Roman rite, you know, uh, um, kind of, uh, when you go to our churches, it's not, it's not off the wall kind of liturgy that's, that's going on there. So I think that immediately struck me in and also the Eucharistic and Marian uh, focus uh, helped me to kind of make my discernment uh, kind of quickly. I could see, you know, I don't want to drag you into a a battle among different (laughs) Franciscan sections, but I I think maybe I've seen some of what you're talking about because being in Cincinnati of the Brown Fires there and they run St. Anthony's Messenger and Sure. Uh, there's a couple large parishes I've been to. Actually, one of those parishes I've written about in the past and to just kind of give the listeners an idea of why this might be off-putting. This was a parish I went into in the middle of Lent and all of the holy water had been taken out of the, the holy water fonts. There was a cross up the the center aisle on which the great sin, social sins had been uh, pasted up there. <laughs> And uh, during the homily, the priest brought out the new social sin of the week that they were going to fight for Lent, and it was uh, sexism and racism and all of the other Marxist topics had been up there. And uh, just one more idea of, like, why I get what you might be saying. It's like the St. Anthony Shrine's there. And this thing has been, like, uh, gutted. Yeah, we we would typically like pray the rosary or something instead. (laughs) See, that's probably why you're on this podcast as opposed to. (laughs) Yeah, no, nothing's wrong. I don't I don't see any of that. Everything's fine. Uh, No, so. (laughs) (laughs) But I get why this would be more attractive to you because you're free to pray with the church and that that kind of irons in what you mean by it. Yeah, uh, exactly. I think, you know, those are um, issues in the end, personally, for me, that distract distract us from, you know, tackling the the, the more difficult kind of and, and more immediate uh, challenges to, to being a Catholic in, in today's world. So, um, yeah, I, you know, it's, I don't want to be diplomatic and everything, but I think people, it's clear to, to maybe your audience, uh, you know, what the differences might be there. So, yeah, well, and that's why I brought it up. I didn't really, I don't know. I, would, I didn't want to get you into the, the opinion of that, but yeah. I, I think that that contrast helps with. But it, now, Chicago, you mentioned that the conventional Franciscans are, are, are more in the cities. And boy, I'll tell you, when it comes to American cities, Chicago's right up at the top of my list. But that's, I mean, I can't blame you for going there. That's a city among cities when it gets down to it. You, you spent some time at Marytown before this, though. And uh, uh, that's kind of outside of Chicago. But you, you probably feel in your element in Chicago. I see some of your pictures. of You see the extremes of uh, humanity today. Yeah. And uh, how does this play out as a Franciscan? Like when you're walking down the street, what do pe- how do people usually treat you? Well, you know, I think Chicago, I was raised in uh, Chicago uh, suburbs, um, and, um, you know, Chicago is a Catholic city. I think at, at heart it is. Um, it's also, you know, it's, it's a very, uh, let's say, um, liberal city. I think it's very mm-hmm. clear 
to anybody who lives here or, or watches the news um, that you know there's also that element very very uh, pronounced here. So the uh, the Archdiocese of Chicago is is um, it classically known to be uh, at the forefront, perhaps, or you know, uh, if it if it's happening anywhere in the United States, it's it's also happening in Chicago. Ah. Uh, so I think that's uh, it's a very prominent kind of um, uh, um, stage, if you will, for uh, for the church in the modern world. You know, you kind of see that played out here. Um, so I think, generally speaking, people are. It dep- really, it depends on the neighborhood, but uh, I'm here. <laughs> I guess that's time. true. But uh, typically, people respond very, very well, uh, especially because there's a large immigrant population in Chicago, and many of them, if, if not most of them, are Catholic. So uh, we have a very uh, diverse uh, uh, congregation at the the parish, um, the, the friar's staff, and it's probably the most diverse, ethnically diverse uh, parish. But, you know, everybody has a sense of that Catholic uh, identity and, and, you know, they're very devotional groups. Um, so they have no, uh, well, they, they welcome the friars because we kind of represent, you know, it's an international order. We have friars that can um, speak to them and their cultures and, and are of their cultures. So, uh, but we also bring a sense of the, universality the, the catholicity of the of the church um and so uh, you know this it, it's it's uh marytown is in a suburb of chicago and it's right near mundelein seminary which is of course um a pretty prominent seminary sure. because of uh bishop now bishop Barron. um so well don't get me started on him okay <laughs> uh, <laughs> just to say that uh i spent um you know, several years ministering at our uh, shrine, National Shrine of St. Maximilian Kolbe. And that was really a great place uh, spiritually, uh, really a, um, a powerhouse because people from all over the country, all over the world, really uh, just find um, a sense of peace and also, you know, miracles of grace happening there because it's perpetual adoration. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, the Marian Apostolate. And just a very, very prayerful atmosphere, and, and the Lord uh, is working through that, uh, you know, constantly. So that, for me, um, being able to lead retreats and lots of spiritual direction, lots of confessions, uh, again, perpetual adoration, a lot of liturgies. So that really is, um, you know, a very, very uh, powerful kind of um, place for, for Catholics to, to kind of um, not only pray there, but, you know, those who are raising their families mm-hmm. uh, find at, uh, at a place like that just the, the needed support. Um, so well, let's get into let's get into that in a minute, because I got a theory about why you'd be seeing miracles. But I guess kind of talking about Chicago, when you think big city in the U.S. anymore, how do people react to seeing you in your habit? Because I'm pretty sure you walk around with your habit on. Yeah, yeah. So people see friars in their habits and they want to pretend like they don't think that's strange. (laughs) Um, I hardly ever hear abuses, but um, there have been times. But mostly, mostly, um, if anybody says anything to your face, it's in appreciation. 
Well, that's what I was so. wondering. Does the habit still have the power? To, have you had anybody run up to you for help because you're wearing your habit? Yes, uh, and there, there are also expectations, you know, <laughs> oh. <laughs> from, from people about, uh, you know, what you you should provide. Uh, but you know, it's really the people. No, wait, are, wait, wait, wait. Uh-huh. We're talking about Chicago. Are you talking about panhandlers thinking that? Sure. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. They want twenty bucks, right? Of course. And we, <laughs> have, we actually have like food vouchers that they can use. So um, we don't uh, generally we we don't like to give cash. You know, uh, it's usually it's um, these food vouchers that the archdiocese actually uh, promotes. Um, but yeah, it, you know, people are so hungry for some some sign of hope you know some sign of god really mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a uh, it's the city of man obviously a very beautiful city in many ways but also very very violent and very um uh just you can sense a lot of this spiritual um desert that is uh, that is here and so any sign of of god is is a sign of hope and people are so hungry for it. Um, usually those who are a little bit more down and out. I mean, as you know, if you're walking down, um, you know, Michigan Avenue or something and people are shopping all over the place, you know, they don't really, it's not really their world, but, uh, it might cause them to think twice. Yeah. Uh, but, but generally I would say that, uh, there, there are, you know, of course the, the people who don't understand it and think it's a joke, uh, mm-hmm. or, you know, think that I'm going to some kind of star Wars convention or something. Yeah. Um, and so there's that. But, <laughs> what do they call that? Uh, uh, cosplay. Yeah, cosplay. That's what. <laughs> thank you. That's what word I was looking for. For me, so, that's the worst. So I think uh, hostility is fine. Um, you know, and then people who are Catholic or, or who, or maybe just are, are Christian or who who want some kind of, uh, um, you know, prayer or, or blessing, they're great. But it's really the ones that are most troublesome are the ones who think you're you're doing cosplay and you just kind of want to yeah. move on. You know? <laughs> well, do you wear your, now is part of your habit have the rosary on the outside? Yes. It's uh it used to be mandatory. Now it's, uh, it's, it's what's called a laudable option. So, okay. uh, whatever that is, but, <laughs> uh, but you know, without, without the, the rosary, it, it's very difficult for people to, um, to identify what a Franciscan habit really is. Cause mm-hmm. other than that, I mean, so you're telling people with a crown, with a rosary that this is, this is a, this is Catholic, uh, garb, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so. And I, I wonder, you know, I've no, just from my, my own little experiences, sometimes I, I catch myself say in the rosary and, and not thinking about it, trying to catch it. Like when I'm in a grocery store or something and I keep it bundled up in my hand, but it's funny if the crucifix sneaks out or something like that, or they notice the beads between my fingers, the rest of it's bunched up in my fist. <laughs> people like get the strangest look on their face. They're like, mm. what is that? Right. Do yeah. they do that to you? Because you got this, I imagine if it's a typical Franciscan rosary, it's pretty big. Yes. Uh, a lot of times I've had like really several times where people have asked if I had an extra because they want to wear it as a necklace. Oh, and, and, then, <laughs> and then you, you know, you give them a little bit of a, a clue about what, what it actually is. And, you know, they, they seem to respond well, but they really want a necklace. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> or, or hang it from the, the one I see is down here is they, they put on the rear view mirror. 
Yeah, I'm, oh sure. You're I don't know what it does too. on the rearview mirror, but at least if they're looking at it, maybe it'll the, eventually a grace will make them wonder what 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 else can I do with this? But sure, yeah. Now, I guess that you know the Chicago things all aside. I'm kind of surprised. Food vouchers are one thing, but it seems like in Chicago, a lot of people would be begging for uh, parking vouchers too. But <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny when you talked about God being a sign of hope and, and, and just the feel in the city. I I guess it's magnified in a big city like Chicago, but I'm not sure, sure that's too different than where it is in most of America these days. Sure. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. You know, and that's one of the quotes. We, I've definitely hammered that on the Bellarmine Forum a couple of times, and we've put that picture up, and it's always popular around his feast day. One of my favorite quotes from St. Maximilian Colby is that no one in the world can change truth. You know, yes. gets, mm-hmm. Yeah. And and you started talking about Maximilian Kolbe and, and, and the shrine and it kind of blows my mind because what you said is what I think is funny. I just it would get into Medjugorje and people. What do they always say about Medjugorje? Well, so and so went there and you could just feel the grace. Yeah. And I always tell people that's not because of the so-called messages that may or may not. Yeah, I, I don't. I wear my opinions of Medjugorje messages on my shoulder. That I don't believe in them. Yeah, but I, okay. I've always tried to resolve what, then how does this stuff happen and where are these conversions? And then you hear about they have mass around the clock. They've got priests here and confessions around the clock. And it's like, wait a minute. There's like a surplus of supernatural power there just from the sacraments. And Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, the act of pilgrimage, people who undertake this pilgrimage in good faith, obviously God will, will reward that and, and will work through, through people's faith. Uh, so that's no surprise. Um, but I guess that's what I was getting at with your shrine is yeah. they don't have to go over there to uh, the middle of the, uh, the Baltic states to see this. They can go right there outside <laughs> of Chicago, right? Exactly. And, you know, we have in the Diocese of Green Bay the first uh, approved apparition site and, you know, that's not really popular. I, I think it's because, you know, nothing really spectacular is going on there. Wait, wait, wait. Which approved apparition site? Tell me about this. Oh, so um, it's uh, in the Diocese of Green Bay. Mm-hmm. It's Our Lady of Good Hope. Oh, wait. Okay, okay. In I Champion, have heard. Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, but- I'm, sorry, is it, I'm sorry, is it Our Lady of Good Help? I think it's Good Help. Oh, hope. I thought it was good hope, but maybe it is good help. It's Our Lady of Good Help. Okay. And that's in um, Champion. It's a little town, the Diocese of Green Bay. Um, and, you know, not, you know, at least when I was there, you don't see droves of, of, of people. You don't see the buses from the parishes uh, descending upon Champion, uh, <laughs> Wisconsin, because there's nothing really spectacular. And I think this is the danger with any... With anything is um, when people are are just looking for some kind of uh, emotional or psychological or or you know fantastical event that can be dangerous and um, sure you know but that I mean come on if we watch TV we get excited if you know the the advertisements are there to make us feel all kinds of emotion shouldn't we be getting out of the church too yeah you know I suppose. Uh, <laughs> And I think they've got, done a good job monetizing it. If uh, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah that's there's, definitely there's true. An, there's an industry there that wasn't there before, so I think. Well, you know, it, it, it just to get to, to there's nothing new under the sun. Sometimes when we talk about monetizing Catholic things, I, I like to remind people that Saint Paul complained about what he called the super apostles. And you, you read it, you hear it read, and, and it, it almost sounds like Paul's whining. He's like, you give them all your money, you give them <laughs> all your attention, you go following them around, and here I am telling you the truth about Christ, and you ignore me. Yeah, sitting at the swap meet, building yeah. tents. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess with that quote from Colby and talking about the shrine, I, I, I would love to put a plug in there because I think people should go there, mostly yeah, because yeah. – you know, and there, there's another shrine nearby that you mentioned, and now you got me interested. Like, I, I need to look a little more up on this. But how does it? I mean, yeah, here you core, are. You're, go ahead, Father. I'm sorry. No, no, uh, sorry. Just, uh, just wanted to say that that quote that you uh, that you cited that was actually from his final editorial piece in the uh, um, Research Immaculate, which is the um, yeah the uh, magazine that, that they published from uh, the friary there. And that, I think, you know, precipitated his arrest. So it was received by the Nazis as anti-Nazi, even if it wasn't explicitly uh, stated, you mm-hmm. know, this whole thing about nobody being able to change the truth and the truth is objective. And that was read as a, as a provocation, as a, you know, attacking the the third reich there so you know he was arrested shortly after the publication of that that article you know it's funny because uh our lord promises us so you, when you look at this final end and our lord makes the promise don't worry about what you're going to say i'll give you what to say mm-hmm. and i mean you talk about it like a finale you know here's his my, my, my favorite quote of his and just like you said it happens to be the last thing he wrote yeah and it and thanks to, to to your encouragement, because I didn't realize I could get it from Marytown uh, a couple of years back, I got that stool volume of uh, all his writings. Right. He wrote a lot of yeah. stuff. He sure did. And then uh, a couple of years back on the Bellarmine Forum, I, I put it in the show links just for the audience. When when these podcasts go up, when you go back to the website, there's going to be show links and things we mention and talk about on here. There'll be links right on the on the page on the uh, post for the website for this podcast episode. So mm-hmm. go back over there. Uh, I don't have a URL to give you yet, but it'll be in our blog posts and and there'll be a link back to the publication that that uh, the Righteous Immaculati when which which why brought up the cover of it. It gets right to what we're going to talk about. And that picture, it shows Our Lady, and, and, and on each side, there's two swords coming down. And she's standing over the earth, and one of those has masonry on it, and the other one has heresy. And so he started with this idea. He ends with the idea that seems so simple, no one can change truth. But when he chartered the, the publication, and this is the part that blows my mind, he was a friar like you in Poland. There's no internet, no social networking, no, I mean, they didn't even have really real TV yet. How did he get, we, this is kind of getting right in. What happened? I mean, he didn't just like read a conspiracy theory book and decide that he needed to go out and fight these uh, uh, empty dragons in the hills. Mm-hmm. You, you, you had a good story coming about 
What motivated him precisely to do this? Great. Yeah, you know, I just want to make, uh, I want to correct myself. It's Richard Nyapokalane. So yes. I'm not looking at it either, and I couldn't think of the Polish, but you're right. Yes. So that's uh, Night of the Immaculate. Now, in in uh, Latin, it's the Miles Immaculate. So the name of the uh, magazine, the, the journal in Latin is, is Miles Immaculate. So, and that's still in publication now. Uh, yes, just to, to um, speak to what prompted St. Maximilian's uh, missionary uh, zeal, especially uh, be- becoming what uh, St. John Paul II called the apostle of the mass media, uh, it, we have to go back to his Roman formation. So St. Maximilian is in Rome um, in the 19-teens for his uh, seminary formation. And there he he comes into contact with uh, Freemasonry and, um, and, and just an outright uh, and, and also strategic and, and public uh, attack on, on the church. Uh, so, especially in the year 1917, mm-hmm. which was the commemoration of, uh, of course, the Protestant Revolution, 1517, mm-hmm. but also uh, 1717, which was the, uh, the establishment of the Grand Lodge uh, of the Freemasons in, in England. And so the... No, wait, wait. Let's stop there for a second because I want to I highlight these dates that you're bringing up. Yes. Uh-huh. The, the, so it's 1917, 200 years prior... This Grand Lodge, that, that means that this year's the 300th anniversary. Right. But and, Grand um, Orient Lodge was created in France. Now, the, uh, in England, I believe. And, yeah. Oh, okay. There's another one in France, and they, those two lodges fight with each other. But yes. yeah, you're right. And, and then also 1517 being. Uh, you know, the 95 theses by, uh, by Luther. Oh, by our buddy Luther. So, Right, St. Martin Luther, no, <laughs> Heresiarch. You know, uh, it's funny. I don't even think I made a point about it recently with the, the comments from Bishop Barron. That's what I said. Don't get me started on this. Because, oh, right. Okay. But didn't you think it was weird that uh, statue that they had in Rome was like that crimson blood red color? Yeah. The, so the statue in Rome is, is quite hideous uh, on a number of levels. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but... Um, but anyway, I mean that that aside, I think you know, I think Saint Maximilian, the saint, right? Who who is the saint, the apostle of the mass media, and in many ways, um, a prophet for uh, you know all of the the things that would kind of take shape in in uh, the postmodern world. He's already dealing with in uh, the nineteen teens and the nineteen twenties and into the forties. Um, so. I think we listen especially to to what he has to say, and he's and he gets it right. Uh, he gets the answer. Um, so in 1917, they are witnessing, uh, especially at the Campo de Fiori, which is a uh, um, near the Vatican. It's a uh, it's a little piazza plaza with a statue of Giordano Bruno. If if your listeners remember that he was the um, he's kind of considered the um, a martyr for science. Yeah. or something like this. So he was executed there in 1600 for, um, for heresy. And uh, so the, and I've seen pictures actually of this process. It's a procession and it's in black and white. And if you look at it, it almost, you know, I'm, when I first saw it, I thought it was a, some kind of um, 
Corpus Christi procession or something like that. But when you look closer, it's a, it, it was a, a procession of Freemasons, and they're all in, um, dressed up in their ceremonial garb. Mm. And, you know, they started the procession at uh, Campo di Fiori at the, the site of Gior- Giordano Bruno's statue, and they went right into St. Peter's Square uh, singing these hymns, uh, talking about how Lucifer will reign in the Vatican and will make the Pope his Swiss guard or, or some such. Now, wow. uh, this is an outright attack. And they had banners, of course, showing St. Michael being trampled underfoot by Lucifer. Wow. Now, if, if that's not anti-clerical and, and anti-Catholic, I don't know what is. Well, uh, so, well wait, wait. But, so, like, I just want to take a moment to expand this image. Here's Maximilian Colby. He sees this group of people in a solemn procession wearing the Masonic garb with banners talking about Lucifer will reign. And that's what they're saying. It's not that he had to guess this thing. He was there witnessing it. You know, today I think what tends to happen is we tell people things like this and they think that he was reading about it on the Internet. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's why I wanted to highlight that point. Like, no, he's watching this and these people are – saying hostile things against God, his church, and his saints, and proclaiming that Lucifer is going to reign. Exactly. And, you know, we also have to remember the, the, the encyclicals of, of the popes of that time, uh, especially I'm thinking of Leo XIII. Oh, yeah. And uh, would have been, you know, studied by St. Maximilian, and, and he highlights, he outlines for the Catholic faithful, you know, the problems inherent in... Um, uh, the philosophy, the, the, the ideals of, of Freemasonry. And um, so this is not anything, um, you know, some kind of like shadowy thing. It's an outright affront, a public demonstration and, uh, um, you know, condemned by the church mm-hmm. in, in many, in many encyclicals. And, you know, it's funny if, if, if our viewers or I'm sorry, our viewers, but our, <laughs> we, we should do a, a TV show next time. Uh, oh. John. One step at a time. Look, <laughs> right. it took me three years to get the podcast going back together. But okay, in that when we're time, good at doing this, we'll do video next. How's that? In, in that time, St. Maximilian Colby had an airstrip and he was getting ready to do movies. So we got to get on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> airstrip in the backyard of the friary uh, to cut out the middleman for shipping. And That's Friars, awesome. Friars training uh, to get uh, their pilot license. Anyways, uh, so... I would I would just recommend that we post some of these links for um, these encyclicals uh, highlighting the uh, the dangers and uh, uh, and the problems with Freemasonry and I think you know it, it's, it's a lot of the same problems that we're dealing with today can be traced back to their uh, the philosophy outlined in these encyclicals so mm-hmm. um, I would just really recommend that we. Uh, kind of refresh and review. Um, anyway, uh, so St. Maximilian I- encounters the, these uh, demonstrations, and he asks, he actually asks the rector of the seminary for permission to go to the Grand Master's office in Rome and engage him in 
dialogue. But, you know, when we talk about dialogue today, it's not what St. Maximilian is thinking of. Yeah. Dialogue means he wants to refute and uh, convert, refute the errors of Freemasonry and convert the Grand Master. Uh, and so, you know, the, <laughs> he w- he wasn't going to go over there to make a statue of him and, and have everybody no, hold he, hands around it. Yeah, he wasn't going to go there to highlight certain positive elements in Freemasonry. <laughs> uh, no, uh, he was going there to uh, to refute the errors and, and hopefully convert this this man uh, who's um, in grave danger of, of losing his soul. Uh, this is how Saint Maximilian thought. This is how saints think. Now wait, uh, wait, wait! I want to highlight that part. He wasn't going over there just to have an argument and win. He wasn't going right. over there to like shove, you know, to like uh, uh, claim a uh, uh, claim a trophy uh, for a right. best argument. He was exactly. worried that yeah. this guy was a victim of a lie. Absolutely. And, and uh, this is what is behind his, his, uh, his response, right, is that it's not that these, uh, you know, we're not fighting a physical fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, St. Maximilian rightly saw, identified that behind all of this is the infernal serpent, the, the father of lies, uh, the liar from the beginning, right? So, yeah. uh, and this is uh, actually also um, what shapes his response is this uh, how the battle is framed in the book of Genesis and also in Revelation. Uh, it's uh, Our Lady, ultimately, who provides the, the key to, uh, to the battle. Um, in, uh, and so this is what the rector recommended. He said, you know, look at the conversion of Alphonse Radisbon. And I think maybe we'll link to a story about Alphonse Radisbon. And he was converted by uh, the miraculous intervention of Our Lady at a church in Rome called Sant'Andrea della Frate. Mm-hmm. And um, the story is, uh, just briefly, uh, as I said, we could link the, the story for, for the uh, listeners. Um, the story is that uh, this aristocratic uh, banker uh, from a Jewish family was visiting uh, a friend, a baron, in uh, Rome, who was actually a, a convert. And while there, the baron, uh, you know, who had made previously, made a vow to Our Lady to try and convert every uh, soul that he could, um, mm-hmm. challenged this, uh, this young uh, gentleman who really represented the, the uh, spirit of the world, you know, the spirit of the times, uh, yes. enlightened, anti-religious, you know, agnostic, probably atheist, and hated Catholicism in particular because his brother converted to Catholicism oh. and became a priest. So he had a particular aversion to uh, Catholicism above all other religions. And so the challenge of the baron was simply to wear a miraculous medal. And, uh, you know, because he said, if, if this is the challenge, I mean, I'm sure you won't object because if it's, if it's false, then it's not going to do anything. But please oblige me. And so uh, the, the young gentleman uh, started to wear the miraculous medal. Meanwhile, the baron called all of his Catholic friends and had them pray for his conversion. Now, mm-hmm. uh, the story is one of, one of those uh, friends uh, passed away, and so the, the good baron went to make arrangements for his funeral at, this, uh, at his parish church, which is Sant'Andrea de la Frate, a little church in Rome. 
Now, uh, the um, Alphonse Radisbon went with him, and while the baron was in the sacristy making arrangements with the parish priest, he uh, saw a bright light from a side altar, and he was just transported there, and he was on his knees. And you can <clears throat> wait, uh, wait, 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 wait. The baron saw this, or Radisbon saw this? Radisbon saw this. Okay, so the baron has already challenged, you know, like a, a friendly duel. Like I bet you can't deal with this. And, exactly. and Radisbon accepted, and he's got the medal. They go they, because the Baron's going to the church, and Radisbon's with him. And then this happens, right? Okay. And in his own words, I actually have here uh, Radisbon's words. You know, so the Baron comes out and sees him, and uh, you know, asks what what happened. And he said that he saw this uh, vision of this woman mm. with rays coming out of her outstretched hands. Uh, and, we know uh, who that is. Yes. And, you know, of course, he's wearing the miraculous medal. Now, he says, and I quote, in an instant, veils fell from my eyes. I felt as if I were emerging from a tomb, was beginning to live, was discovering life. Still, I wept in gratitude, for I realized the terrible misery from which infinite mercy had liberated me. I trembled at the thought of my sin. I was overcome with gratitude. With great joy, I thought of my brother. But how many persons are going down into hell, blinded by arrogance and indifference? among them, members of my own family, et cetera, et cetera. So um, he saw in an instance, uh, in an instant, his, the state of his soul, and then also, as he says, the beauty and truth of the Catholic faith. Wow. And, and he's kind of infused uh, with an extraordinary grace. He's infused with knowledge of the faith. So he was baptized straight away. And uh, Alphonse Radisbon actually becomes a priest, first a Jesuit, I think, and then he becomes a missionary to the Holy Land, and that's where he dies. He dies in, uh, actually, his, you can see his tomb. It's in the hill country of Judah, Ein Karin. Mm. And, of course, we know that because that is the site of the visitation. Oh, yeah. And so I th- Maximilian rightly kind of connects that. He, said, you know, he thinks, well, Our Lady brought Jesus to um, her cousin Elizabeth, and um, Jesus comes to Radisbon through Our Lady, through her intercession. And, you know, if Our Lady can convert somebody like Alphonse Radisbon, who is the epitome of, uh, you know, bias against the church, she can do that for anyone. Mm-hmm. And so he realizes that this is the, this is the way to battle uh, the lies and the, um, uh, and the, the strategies of, of the evil one is through the Mediatrix of All Grace, uh, Our Lady, the Immaculate Conception. And, you know, the Miraculous Medal was originally called the Medal of the Immaculate Conception. Yeah. So St. Maximilian has, uh, you know, mystical insights into the mystery of Our Lady's Immaculate Conception and develops that theology uh, in a very um, systematic way. But um, so this is the key for him. Uh, so he starts this uh, Militia of the Immaculata. Wait, before uh, we get to them. hmm I think one thing's really key in there, and particularly if we're going to talk about the miraculous medal, I love the part of the story where when she's describing the medal to be struck and the vision she had of our of, a, of our lady that from one of her fingers, there weren't any rays coming. And when she asked the Blessed Mother, she said, why aren't there any rays coming from there? Our lady said, because nobody prayed for those graces. Right. That's yeah, always so touched she- my heart. And it, it's funny because... 
almost every day. I'll, I'll just, in some point through the day, I'll say an extra uh, memorari, and it's for the intention of, for those graces nobody's praying to get. Just so oh, Our Lady can say, oh, my John thought about those graces I couldn't get, and, and I could get this grace to somebody because somebody prayed for it. Here's the yeah, Baron yeah. doing the same thing by asking the others to pray for these graces. So it wasn't just the medal, it was the prayer too. And exactly. it comes from Our Lady and Our Lady asking that. So, okay, back to the militia and Malata. Yeah, right, and I think that's it's, it's important to, to highlight that, yeah, because it's, um, this is kind of the apparatus through which this, this conversion, not only this conversion of Alphonse Radisbon, but what, what St. Maximilian saw as the, the, uh, the key, right, is that it was, as you said, through this sacramental mm-hmm. and uh, through prayer. And so above all, this is a spiritual battle, and uh, what we're engaged in is uh, a spiritual battle, and what is needed is supernatural grace. It's not that, um, as you said, we were saying that not just winning arguments, um, yeah. people need to have ears to hear. And so, you know, what? who does the legwork for that but uh, faithful souls who pray for the grace of conversion and growth in holiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is, of course, you know, our, our job in the communion of saints. Our, our heavenly patrons also do that for us. Uh, and we need to do that always and always be mindful of that. And St. Maximilian has this example, right? We have his mass register mm-hmm. and his mass register. Anytime he had an opening, he would offer the votive mass for the Immaculate Conception and also for the intentions of the Immaculata. Awesome. So here's this uh, filial trust that, you know, Our Lady can handle it. She has her intentions, and I'll offer my sacrifices, my uh, whatever it is in my my, um, my state in life, for her purposes. Mm-hmm. And uh, she knows best. So if, you know, there's that sense of confidence in her, in her intercession, in her presence, and her guidance in, in day-to-day life. You know, um, be, just to, to kind of a contrast here you know i was trying to get at this point earlier and it's kind of a a dig on but here you are you've dedicated your life this is this is what you want to do with your life and in your study and obviously know it but do you find that when we, we we look out outside of people that maybe have never encountered this idea that when they think um one of the phrases that's always driven dragged driven me crazy is when somebody says, I'm going to drag souls to heaven. And I'm like, wait a minute, you can't even drag yourself there. <laughs> and when you, I think a lot of people that get a lot of energy, they want to do good things for our Lord. And they think it, it's by their own power, by going out and being clever, by out arguing people that that's how conversions happen. But that there's something different going on here, isn't there? Yeah, and I think what the, the the former you know method that you're talking about there that is a good recipe for, uh, you know, not getting anywhere, right? Yes. Or, or or doing very little uh, spiritual good, because it's based on our powers, our talents, our uh, you know abilities, mm-hmm. and that doesn't go anywhere. Now, this is the secret of the saints, especially well, those who are. So didn't our Lord say it? Without me, you can do nothing. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So the key is in that is in in, in realizing um, and uh, and and 
Yeah, just that, you know, that's what humility is. It's just realizing our own helplessness and and asking that the Lord fill up what is lacking in in, in our weakness. So, mm-hmm. um, and so that that's that is the secret of of Saint Maximilian's um, productivity, right? It's it's this um, in so much as he was abandoning himself to Our Lady's lead. Uh, he was super fruitful. I mean, you know, we're talking if, as far as, as accomplishments, this man accomplished uh, so much. Even just, just talking about uh, the things that we can demarcate and measure, right? Buildings, uh, circulation of magazines and, mm-hmm. and journals. Uh, it, you know, we're not even talking about, uh, you know, supernatural grace moving in, in hearts and minds. So, right. um, you, know. you know, what blows my mind, and this is something up, uh, this would be totally a topic for another day, but just to, to, to iron in this point, St. Francis Xavier is another one of my favorites. And the both of them having this connection to Japan, Maximilian Colby was the one that, that like, cracked the ice and made it happen. I, I, it just blows my mind that he had this whole community of the, of Japanese men way right. over, yeah. way over on the other side of Asia. I mean, it's like. He was in Poland. We're not talking about like it's today. They couldn't FaceTime or, you know, Skype and see what's going on. And he's doing these things all over the world. It just blows right. my mind when you get the the amount of paper, the amount of newsletters, everything. Like you said, here's friars getting their pilot's license because of a cut shipping costs. And <laughs> he's got radio going worldwide, which I think – just this, but this was another topic. Maybe one day we'll put our tinfoil caps on and get into this idea. There's a little part of me that thinks that's why the atomic bomb was dropped where it was in Nagasaki uh-huh. yeah. to get rid and of that. And of course, the 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 largest concentration of the Catholic population in Japan was in Nagasaki. Right. So, in um, the other site in Hiroshima, that's where the first martyrs were. Mm-hmm. Almost like they wanted to get rid of uh, any efforts in Japan, so or any memory or any uh, actual stuff going on. But right. like I say, we need our tinfoil caps on for all that. And- right? Uh, yeah. So I just wanted uh, just to um, dovetail with that uh, something you had mentioned. Uh, one thing I think we learned from Saint Maximilian is this: uh, what drives him. Um, you know, his love for God, obviously, but that flowing into zeal for souls. And that's something mm-hmm. that I don't think we speak about too often. And I, I think, you know, as we, we face similar um, challenges and, and struggles um, in our own day, uh, where the church is beleaguered by, by scandal and, uh, by, you know, attacks, outright attacks in, in media and secular society. And, um, and it's, it's, sometimes very easy to fall into this discouragement and, you know, maybe some bitterness, but what St. Maximilian, you know, how that affected him, it was probably similar, but I would say that he also, through God's grace, it, it became uh, a sadness for uh, so many people lost in this confusion and in this darkness. So uh, a sadness for them. And then this, this desire for their salvation, the desire to uh, um, communicate uh, the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ to them, to liberate them, and I think this is the this is what um, 
his example, I think, is so important today is that uh, let's not get cynical and, and carried away in, in, um, in, in that kind of negativity, but let us uh, be mobilized with this zeal for souls to, uh, to, you know, to pray and to, um, to live by, you know, by example, to communicate the gospel and, uh, you know, entrust it to Our Lady and, and work with her as her instruments. Yes. So, but that that gets back kind of you know I think if people they go about trying to convert people with their own efforts they're asking to go right into the alley of dissipation and acedia because they're not going to see any results they might see something but it's not that's not even what God asks he mm-hmm. kind of sidesteps that by being able to say I did what Our Lady asked almost right. like you mentioned abandonment and I almost see it you know if we're going to put it. In today's productivity world, if you have your to-do list, the, the to-do list doesn't say convert so-and-so. Mm-hmm. But the to-do list says pray for the graces that Our Lady might convert so-and-so. And then the next to-do might be uh, pray because Our Lady needs those graces to do what she wants. Exactly. And let's not forget, uh, as Our Lady of Fatima would tell of uh, Francisco and Jacinta and Lucia, make uh, offerings, right? So uh, sacrifices, um, you know, inconveniences, uh, willingly endured and in a spirit of prayer and oh, yeah. uh, offering them for the conversion of sinners, for the sins against the Immaculate Heart. I mean, it, so that's the other 1917 event that we uh, forgot to mention. Well, no, no, no. We'll get, you know what? This is perfect because one of the things I always uh, hope for and, and we're almost there. I would like people to take something away today, and I think there's a couple things we've discussed that would be a good takeaway. But the other thing I hope for with this with this podcast is that it, it enlivens the childhood of the listener, and, and 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 they're like, "Do it again, do it again." I think where where each of these episodes goes, we don't have to be too clean because <laughs> you and I will be talking again. Sure, and okay. and we could talk about. I think the, the interplay between Fatima and him, and, and in another thing too, I think there's a lot of confusion because you have De Montfort out there. And when you look at the discovery of De Montfort stuff, you find out that, wait a minute, Colby probably didn't know about De Montfort until later, if at all. You see that it really is the Blessed Mother bringing this apostle of hers, of Marian devotion, into that time. So, and it's beautiful because you look at the two sides of, of Europe. You've got Poland on one side, and here's Maximilian Colby, and you've got all the way over on the other side, you've got Portugal. You see Our Lady making this flanking maneuver on, on Europe. Hmm. That's a good point, yeah. And then, and then not only that, you see from Colby, Colby brings the flank all the way over to Japan. Right. Yeah, it's like, wow. If we're looking on a military map, if it was risk and we're playing risk, it's like here with Colby – he managed to take what's what's called the Turkic belt and catch both sides. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the, yeah, we should talk about that all that another time. If 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 somebody kind of where we are now, and, and they're thinking about Maximilian Colby and and what does this mean for me, and how could I be more devoted to the Blessed Mother? Like, where do they start? Uh, you know, it's Saint Maximilian Colby would would uh, would say. 
the act of total consecration, which um, for him is an, is an act of the will. It's very easy. I mean, you just entrust your, yourself to the Blessed Mother. And this is not something that he would say that he invented, or even uh, Louis de Montfort, or uh, in later times, John Paul II. You know, where this starts is at the foot of the cross, and mm-hmm. our, our Lord himself uh, entrusts John and all of us in his, in his person to Our Lady, and Our Lady to John. So total consecration begins at the foot of the cross. I mean, Jesus Christ himself is, uh, you know, would, would be the example of total consecration because he made Our Lady his mother. So, awesome. uh, and he's 100% Marian in his, uh, you know, because uh, he has no earthly father. So, oh, um, yeah. So, you know, one is, of the, uh, we have these little daily meditations I've been putting up on the website. Um, they come from an older book called The Devout Year. And uh, one of them recently, last month was a sacred heart. And there was one in there that mentioned our Lord's devotion to his mother, because without her, he wouldn't have had the human heart to love us with. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I got that. And I was like, wow, I thought about that. I mean, I'm still thinking about it. And I think it was three weeks ago when I read that one. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. But the, no, it, I, I would I would just um, maybe suggest that, Ben, uh, just to end with that on my part, is uh, when we look at all the, the difficulties going on and it just seems so huge and, and what are we supposed to do? Well, we're not supposed to fix all that. Uh, we're supposed to be instruments, uh, you know, of grace. And so St. Maximilian would say, you know, cons- consecrate yourself uh, to Our Lady and let her do the heavy lifting. Awesome. Uh, so if they want to find out more about that, uh, St. Maximilian's act of total consecration is essentially the same as uh, de Montfort. Mm-hmm. Uh, they describe different dimensions of it. Uh, de Montfort describes more the interior, personal uh, aspect of it, and Colby is much more missionary-oriented, um, apostolic, because uh, you know he, um, he wants everyone to know about this and, and to benefit from it. You know, right away, as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Now, Father, I I forget how long ago it was, but it was shortly after I became president of Bellarmine Forum, one of my first official acts, and it was with the board approval. We weren't sure if it happened before, although I think it probably did. But we made sure to uh, formally uh, consecrate the Bellarmine Ford with the with with Colby's formula to the to the care of the Blessed Mother. So it's hers. The, the forum's hers. The website's hers. This podcast is hers. Both of us have consecrated to her. Yeah. So that's, well, we won't we won't blame that on her. But no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I always I always apologize to her. I say I feel so bad for you with the way things are today that you have to use something like me as an instrument. But well, no, as uh, Saint Maximilian would say, she she uses the the rusty instruments, but uh, you know she gets the job done. Yes, that's for so. sure. <laughs> Father, okay. thank you so much for today. Let's wrap this one up. And, and I think it's it's perfect because here we've talked about so much. We've talked about consecration of Blessed Mother. We've given history on these things that drove Maximilian Colby to, to become this great apostle for the church. We've talked about a little bit of history of the church and th- that I think we could get into. It's still the same today, but they're just not marching down the street with banners. Uh, in some places, that's true. Be. Yeah, that's true. I know in America they don't because everybody thinks this is stuff of tinfoil hats. But 
Right. We can um, maybe get into more of that history another time. I like this idea of, t- of talking about Fatima and Colby, how that works out. But for today, let's call it a day. And would you take us out with a, with a prayer, Father? Sure. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was, As it the was beginning, in the beginning, is, is now, now and ever shall be, shall be. world, without, world end. without end. Amen. Our Lady, Immaculate Conception, pray, pray for, for us. us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Father. This was great. I'm, I'm actually all excited. and <laughs> Great to be with you, John. Thanks. Thank you. You have been listening to the Bellarmine Forum podcast. This was episode two with Friar Anthony Mary OFM Conventual. I am your show host, John B. Manos. Production of this episode was underwritten by an anonymous donor that asks you to say your rosary daily. If you would like to underwrite production of the podcast, contact the forum using the contact form on our website, bellarmineforum.org, or call us, or send us a letter, or... Any way you would like, let me know, and we can work it out. This podcast is a production of the Bellarmine Forum, formerly known as the Wanderer Forum Foundation, which was founded in 1965 on the heels of Vatican II as a faithful enclave of the Catholic faith, without all of the progressive or modernist confusion that was rushed into the church at that time. We still, to this day, are part of the battle to defend the Catholic faith and bring you faithful, reliable Catholic teaching. Our producer sits at the right hand of the Father and will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Our executive director made all things visible and invisible. Our technical director is an unnamed angel assigned to us by the producer per show. The Bellarmine Forum is a nonprofit public charity and all donations are tax deductible to the maximum extent permitted by law. Yeah, that was supposed to be funny. This show is copyrighted by the Bellarmine Forum 2017 to the greater glory of God and the honor of his blessed mother.